Tired of ads crashing your comedy podcast party? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts, included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app or visit amazon.com slash comedy ad free. That's amazon.com slash comedy ad free. And catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And here's your prescription. I know just the pharmacy to get this filled. Who are you? A pharmacy benefit manager. A middleman your insurer uses to decide which medicines you can get, what you pay, and sometimes even which pharmacy you should go to. Why can't I go to a pharmacy in my neighborhood? Because I make more money when you go to a pharmacy I own. <laughs> no one should stand between you and your medicine. Visit phrma.org slash middleman to learn more. Paid for by Pharma. Hey, just before we get started, this is a conspiracy, paranormal, and true crime podcast. The nature of this podcast is gory, unsettling, and definitely vulgar. And we curse a lot. Like, a lot, a lot. So be advised. That we're just two idiots with a mic. Yo, 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 and welcome back to Creeps and Crimes Podcast. I'm Taylor. And I'm Morgan. And this is episode 80. Eight, oh my God, big eight zero, y'all. The big eight oh. The big eight oh. How are we doing Can we tonight? get a round of applause? Da, 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 da. We hear you screaming all the way from the past <laughs> We can hear you, even though you haven't heard this. We can hear you screaming. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you in your office telling all of your coworkers to get the fuck up. It's this Creeps and Crimes episode 80. Get up. I can hear Valerie saying, oh, my God, episode 80. Let's ride. Let's go, girls. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, so we're trying out something new today. <laughs> I hate it. Yeah, we are not enjoying it. But basically, you know how like professional podcasters like wear headphones so yeah. they can hear themselves? We're like, um, OK, we've seen your reviews and your comments and stuff about how you hate how loud we are <laughs> because we scream into them the mic and we don't know because we don't have the headphones in to know just how loud we're being or like last week that you guys listened to there was a moment where the mic was a little bit too far away from my mouth for like 20 minutes and I didn't know until after I was editing and we had already wrapped up for the night so we decided we were going to try out with these earphones just to see if this helps our quality but if you don't like it and you think we're too quiet now because we're blowing our own ears out let us know yeah, let us know. DM us. Because it feels crazy because we can hear ourselves. Like, it's different. It's so You have to weird. try to hear yourself talk at the same time that you're talking. <laughs> but then it also picks up on everything. Every yes. breath, every lip smack, every Every single one of those. Clinch. Like, I hate it. And it's like cotton mouth. It's a real thing. If you're a podcaster, if you're in front of a mic, you know. <laughs> or if you're a stoner, it's a real thing. <laughs> you okay? know. You guys know. <laughs> but anyways, uh, we don't really have a ton to talk talk about other than, you know, typicals. Go follow us on socials. It's Creeps and Crimes or uh, Creeps and Crimes podcast or just Creeps and Crimes or Creeps underscore Crimes, wherever you look. And um, also, if you want to be a Patreon Y'all got a ton of good shit right now. Oh my Yeah, y'all got a little April Fool's joke. Sorry about that. <laughs> Sorry about that. We we, we realized after the when we did it, we're like, this is gonna be so good. Like, we're we really do. gonna get him. And then we we're like, fuck, that was really mean. That was so mean. We hi- we were like, <laughs> we were like giving y'all like the biggest thing that we could give you yet. The things <laughs> that you've been asking for. We acted like we had it, and we just didn't. We just didn't have the answers for you that so you wanted. Classic. So. <sighs> Maybe next 
year <laughs> yeah maybe next year we'll see how it goes maybe everybody will get an april fools next year just like y'all did last year the reason was is we forgot we forgot right it was april fools yeah so yeah anyways um so because we don't really have a ton to talk about um we wanted to play the not play a game but I, I wanted to ask morgan a question that i saw on twitter that was actually posted by my high school um psychology teacher he was working on a paper that he was going to have his students write and so he was asking his former students and just people on twitter to answer these questions so um i loved it so much i texted him my answers and then i was like you know what this is going to be perfect for the intro so i'm going to ask it to morgan and i'll answer first and then morgan's going to answer last and we're going to go through just kind of to discuss this and we don't know each other's answers but i have a feeling they're going to be the same i know i can't wait to see what yours is because my <laughs> I, I like really did but you can't change yours once i tell you mine I have it written out. Okay, good. So the question is, if you could only experience two emotions for the rest of your life while incapable of experiencing the others, which two would you choose? Which of the others do you think you would miss the most slash would be detrimental to not have? And the emotions that you can or feelings that you can choose between are happiness, sadness, fear, disgust, surprise, anger. So I'm going to answer first. Um, the two for the rest of my life, I would choose happiness and fear. Okay. And I would choose happiness because obviously it's pretty self-explanatory. You don't want to choose sadness, only sadness to experience for the rest of your life. Like you kind of need balance. And that's why I chose fear is because number one, for women, I think it's extremely important to be able to have the ability to remember that you have to be observant of your surroundings and things that happen around you through the power of fear. Mm-hmm. And that goes for everything. Like when you get in a situation, you're the fear. Fear is what you feel from your intuition when something isn't right, or at least I do. And so that would be really hard for me to not have. Number two, I wouldn't want to be some like adrenaline junkie that threw my life away because of lack of fear. Right. And then number three, um, the fear of regret is what motivates me to do most of the things that I do. So if I didn't have fear, I would honestly rather die than ever feel comfortable and not challenged enough to grow in my life. And then lastly, for my reasons for choosing fear, fear triggers a million responses from our body. And I honestly don't think that we could function without it. Okay. So which ones would you choose? And then we'll go through what we would miss. Okay. Well, obviously my detail answer is not that detailed, (laughs) but um, any shit on my other option but (laughs) I would choose happiness and sadness you need balance you need balance so if you only had two positives for the rest of your life then are you really living life because life is supposed to have you know ups and downs and I feel like if you didn't have sadness then you wouldn't ever appreciate your happiness happiness. Mm -hmm. and also if you didn't have sadness you would never um be able to grieve right do you know what I mean oh my god you're gonna love my answers grieving is an (laughs) I don't know. An important part of life. For it is. Sure. It is. All right. Now, oh, you chose happiness and sadness. We don't have mm-hmm. to explain happiness. Everybody gets that. So what would I miss about the others? Um, let's do, let's go through them one at a time. Oh, and we're I'll supposed give, to miss about, we're supposed to write about each? Well, you, we can just go off of each other based off of oh. my answers. Okay. Um, and then you can talk about what you would miss about fear at the end. So let's okay. talk about surprise first. Um, okay. What I would miss about surprise is it's such a pure form of happiness and shock that can run through your body and it's like a high we don't have to have it but the ability to not well to not have it would be really sad you know what I mean 
So I thought the question. <laughs> what? Just ignore me. I thought the question meant which one would you would you miss the most? Oh well, it does. But we're gonna just discuss all of them. Okay. Well, I put su- being surprised okay. because a good surprise can bring some of the happiest emotions. Right. Exactly. And then also like the the surprise, like you're shocked or something bad happens, like that kind of triggers fear in a lot of things. Right. So it would be weird to not have like an onset to fear with if you didn't have surprise. You know what I mean? I don't know yeah. how to explain that. Okay, next, disgust. Um, I don't have this feeling often that I observe like consciously. Well, I would say in the last um, year, it's very <laughs> easy to get disgusted with yeah people with people right exactly that's what I said I I wouldn't say that I have this feeling often like consciously how I'm like disgusted by something like I'm thinking like food right but I do want to say just like fear disgust aligns heavily with intuition so just as much as fear the inability to feel that you're not liking something is fucking scary so when I think of disgust, I think of being like disgusted by somebody's actions. Like mm. I didn't even, that was what originally went to my head instead mm-hmm. of like being disgusted by food or like mm-hmm. not liking the taste. And I feel like that's important to have in life, especially over the last couple years, you see these people just who have no empathy for others yeah. and, and the it, shit that it we just cover, disgusts you. Yeah. It's disgusting. Yeah. I don't know. Um, the next one we have is anger, anger. So do you want to go on anger first? How much would you miss anger? I guess is a good question. Like, would you miss it or would you be happy without it? I feel like the worst type of sadness is anger. Yeah. Because I get so, when I'm angry, I get so freaking worked up mm-hmm. and it causes sadness. Yeah. And so I think if I could have sadness, then I'd be okay with not having anger. Yeah. Because anger can cause just a lot of, shit like a ripple effect yeah of like you're acting on your out of anger you're acting on I don't know on a whim I guess yeah because anger can be really overbearing yeah so I feel like it can cause a ripple effect of a lot of other negative things that follow through with it like you might make something on a rash decision out of anger that you wouldn't if you didn't have it I don't know it's a very strong emotion that's for sure And then I wrote about anger. I sometimes wish I never felt anger because of how many times in my life I have let it consume and control Mm -hmm. me and my actions. But the older I've gotten, I've learned to deal with the type of anger that I have. And it's taught me a lot about myself. And honestly, anger is good to have because it's a release. And that release is so like rewarding for your body, emotions, your mind, your soul to be able to let go of something as long as you are doing it in a controlled environment right in a safe way but and that's the only reason I would miss it because of the release that you can feel after it's done as long as you handled your anger correctly I don't know if I'd miss it I think I would miss it a lot because I think anger drives a big part of me it does <laughs> yeah <laughs> it definitely does person. I don't like being angry I don't I let it consume me mm-hmm. I don't know I just I don't think I'd miss it I think that's the one that I'd be like okay yeah, and then you want to talk on fear, and then I'll talk on sadness. Um, yeah, fear. I don't know. I guess I would miss it the most. I don't know. Intuition. Yeah, it does play a huge part in intuition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the f- the fear. The, what you know? What comes to mind when I hear fear? I'm like the fear of losing someone. 
yeah. or losing something like that. The fear of not going for your goals. The fear right. of, yeah. Like what else it drives does. us? Yeah, exactly. I don't know. But you could do without it. If you, like you said, if you had sadness, because I think there is a portion of sadness that aligns with fear and anger and shock sometimes. Oh, shock. Yeah. That should be on the list. I know. And how I feel about sadness is I would probably miss sadness the most if I chose fear and happiness because um, although it's a very tough emotion, it's in the moments that you're sad and you're at your lowest is where you find yourself in like the truest form of yourself and meet the person that you are. And the times in my life where I was unable to feel sadness were the scariest times in my life where I was numb. Yeah. And it was traumatizing. And I appreciate sadness because it gives us the ability to grieve and mourn and feel that ache that shows you're alive. And it's also, it plays such a beautiful role with love just as much as happiness does. For sure. Because you learn to love someone harder through the hard times that bring sadness. Yeah. Okay. We just got in our feels. I've been in my feels too often. I can't do this. I hate I hate this intro. <laughs> I'm just saying like, that is a really, really good. It's a great question. On. Yeah. I loved it. The second I read it, I was I'd like, I'd love yeah. to read his class's papers. I know. I was like, you want to send those to me? Yeah. And well, then I was like, I asked him the question. I said, I wonder what emotions are, or which of these do serial killers or like spree killers or something like that feel mm-hmm. and which ones are muted? And I was like, probably anger that they re- they think is happiness from the release of killing someone. Right. But I'm, I'd be so interested to learn about that. And he was like, oh, I've read so many books on it. We should sit down one day and really talk about like, the, yeah. like the psychology behind a serial killer. I also wonder if it's different, like generational, like someone yeah. who's lived for 90 years is probably going to give a different answer than us who've been here for 24 years and who's probably going to give a different answer than high school kids. You, you know, know what, what I mean? You know what I think I'm going to do? Maybe we'll put like a little um, poll on Thursday on yeah. our Instagram and you guys pick which two you would choose and which one you would miss the most. Yeah. And then type us like a little answer about why you would miss that one the most or why you chose the ones you chose. Damn. Because I would love to hear all of y'all's answers because we all, we really, a lot of our listeners, we're really all spread out. There's not like a specific age range for us. Yeah, not anymore. Not anymore. There used to be, yeah. but not anymore. All right, guys. We love that. Hit them with it. If you're driving, throw that shit on cruise control. If you got a glass, pour that shit up. And let's get creepy. Creeps and Crimes is sponsored by Anna Luisa. That is A-N-A-L-U-I-S-A. Anna Luisa is a jewelry brand with a simple but clear-cut idea. High-quality jewelry shouldn't cost the planet. From packaging to products, Anna Luisa is carbon neutral because they care about their impact on our planet. Crafting high-quality jewelry at very affordable prices. With unique designs that'll make you feel empowered, elegant, and at your finest. AKA, we have your Mother's Day gift on lockdown. Anna Luisa is the perfect gift for your mom, your grandma, your aunt, or whoever that motherly figure is in your life. And you can't go wrong with affordable, fine jewelry that starts at only $39. Can't find something you like? Well, don't worry, because Anna Luisa releases 
Shop's new jewelry collections every Friday. So lose the gift-giving stress. Go to shop.analuisa.com slash creepsandcrimes and make mom's day by treating her to new pieces of jewelry with Anna Luisa's buy one, get one 40% off sale. One for you and one for her. And who doesn't love a matching set? That is shop.analuisa.com slash creepsandcrimes to receive Anna Luisa's buy one, get one 40% off sale. And we know you'll love them because we are obsessed. And we're decked out in them right now. (laughs) Right now. (laughs) Okay, Morgan, what do you have for us today? Okay, today I am going to be talking about the Oakley Moore incident. Have you ever heard of this? No. It is pretty crazy. Um, It starts off on December 1st, 1987, when a retired police officer named Philip Spencer was taking a morning walk at Oakley Moore as he does regularly. So Ilkley Moor is located between Ilkley and Keeley in West Yorkshire, England. I really hope I'm <laughs> pronouncing these right, okay? It sounded kind of right to It me. sounded right. It sounded right. Maybe it's not. <laughs> um, it's a beautiful area with prominent rocks and boulders as a result of Ice Age glaciers from like a gazillion years ago. It's filled with grained sandstones from the Carboniferous period and oh. gives a nearby town, Ilkley, its acid soils and soft water. Okay. But besides this historically historical geography views and beauty the moor is known for some of its oddities first being the swastika stone oh great on the northern edge of the moor there's a swastika shaped pattern engraved in a stone which is also referred to as the filfot which is a type of swastika symbol that dates back to the medieval anglo-saxon culture so this isn't related to um the nazis at all okay um it actually just shows that it was here in like like way long ago and it's kind of like a like a it looks like a starfish. Yeah, I was thinking like a tentacle yeah. vibe. Yeah, it's more tentacle. It's not like the, the block, like when we think of a, a swastika. Right. Um, so a lot of people come there for that, for the history. But next to the swastika stone is the Neb Stone. Um, the Neb Stone is a notable rock that has the appearance of the lid of like a grand piano. Hmm. And this rock has carved like cup and ring marks. So cup and ring marks are really common on like ancient aliens and... Yep. <laughs> Shit like that. And the cup and ring mark can be found all over the world and are considered a form of prehistoric art. So, Taylor, here's this picture of this cup and ring art. Oh, it looks like crop circles. It looks like crop circles. Yep. Exactly. So it has a very, like, alien E.T. vibe. Um, These petroglyphs date back hundreds of years to the Neolithic or Bronze Age and can be found spread across Europe to Australia and across the sea in Mexico and America. Oh, okay. Which cough, cough, like extraterrestrial right there. Hi. Like these same patterns showing up all over the world in the Bronze Age. Right. Have y'all have, y'all never seen Signs? You've never seen the movie Signs. Do y'all have planes? What is going on? Hundreds of years ago? I don't think you did. So how are you all drawing the same pattern? Um, Along with these two odd stones, there is also a large stone circle known as the Twelve Apostles. It's very, like, stonehenge-y. The circle originally contained 16 to 20 stones, but has now been reduced to 12 just over the years. They've kind of fallen. So it's like a mini stonehenge. Oh, it it literally is a mini stonehenge. Yeah. It's just mini. It's just needle. And this little um, Twelve Apostles dates back also to the Bronze Age. So the area shows a lot of history and followed by a lot of eeriness because there have been numerous reports of UFO sightings. Um, Hovering lights at night are also extremely common here in the moor. The area is also unusually super foggy. 
Okay. Leaving passerbys to walk through the more at careful times. Like they time out their walks. Yeah. People have reported seeing strange swirling lights that filter through the fog and they seem to be flying around like they have a mind of their own. Mm. All of this bizarreness, though, is brushed off by officials as just being connected to the Menwith Hill military base that is only a couple miles away. Which It's a weather balloon. It's a weather balloon. <laughs> it's the lights off the military planes. But also, why do you have a base so close to something so crazy? Mm-hmm. Um, therefore, the idea of it being an extraterrestrial hub is kind of dubbed off, you know, by officials. Or maybe that's why the base is there. Right. So. But that was not the case of former officer Philip Spencer. As stated earlier, on December 1st of 1987, he was walking through the moor in the early hours of the morning. And this is something that he did regularly, as it was his path to get to his father-in-law's house. Mm-hmm. Each time he walked through, um, something was just always, like, out of place. It just felt, you know, a little unnatural. And Philip had been seeing, over the course of the last few months, these strange lights, like, hovering above the moor. Okay. So most times that he was walking on the path to his father-in-law's house, he would bring along his camera to try to capture these strange lights. Mm-hmm. And because of the poor light in the morning and the fog, he had bought this, quote, high ASA rated film. Okay. I don't know what it means, but it sounds really, yeah. like, expensive. I don't know what that is, but whatever. <laughs> um, to try to get a better image. So along with his camera, he would carry a compass to help him navigate through the thick morning fog because he had to get over there early and he wasn't one of the ones that would time out the fog. So he would bring a compass and he was literally, it was like walking through a cloud to get there. Oh, great. Um, during his walk on that early December morning, Philip was just kind of messing around with his camera, trying to figure out, you know, some good photo angles when suddenly standing on the slopes ahead of him is this strange being standing about four feet tall. Philip described him as being dark green with an oversized head and unusually long and thin arms. Mm -mm. But, oh, sorry. When he caught sight of the being, it held out one hand. And Philip took this as a gesture to, like, stay away. Right. Like the being was like, like stop. a, yeah, stop. Don't come closer. Immediately no. Imme- the being was like. <laughs> immediately no. <laughs> immediately no. Back up, Philip. Back it up, sir. Um, but instead, Philip actually snapped a picture of it oh, and began to follow it. Oh, okay. The being was moving away while Philip was almost running after it until he lost him in the fog. He then watched as a craft rose from the moor and disappeared into the sky. He described the craft as having two saucer-shaped parts that were attached, one being on top of the other. Okay. So like a disc, two discs. It was also emitting a loud hum, and it looked to be of whitish color. Philip was mesmerized as he watched the craft fly up into the sky before zooming off. Therefore, he was unable to snap a picture of it quick enough. Instead of heading to his father-in-law, Philip changed route and headed to a nearby town that was about thirty, about a 30-minute walk. When he arrived, he discovered that it was two hours later in the day than he expected it to be. And on top of the lost time, his compass that he had taken with him was going haywire and pointing in the opposite direction than it should be. Oh, God. Philip needed answers. Did he just see what he thought he saw? <laughs> right. The next day, he headed by bus to the nearest town that had an instant film developer. And I'll be damned, it developed a picture of the exact creature that Philip saw just the day before. So, Taylor, here's the picture. I'm going to post this um, on Instagram. You guys can catch it. Should we? Oh, yeah. We're going to have a oh, whole yeah. reel. Sorry, I should have told you this yeah. at the beginning. Um, this episode is going to have its own post. Yeah. Instead of, like, our episode number with two pictures. Yeah. Well, we'll have that. But we're we'll also going to have... 
We'll have episode 80 photo book. Follow yeah. on follow along photo book. Yeah, the That's photo it. book. <laughs> um, for both of our stories, it'll be combined. So it's not like a team creep, team crime. Yeah. It's just an ep Because I think I only have four. She has like three. Yeah. yeah. So um, the picture on the left is the original. The middle one, they um, kind of adjusted the lighting. And right. then the third, they did color additions based on what the adjustments were giving. Okay. So... This oh is what God. he saw. Holy fuck. And that is very zoomed in. So the picture was actually taken pretty far away. Far away. Yeah. Oh, yeah, guys. It's it looks like literally E.T. Yeah. But green. Phone home. And it <laughs> it's like the two sides of the head. That's what like the shape of the head. Like it is like your OG like alien movie. Yeah. Alien. Like, yeah. It's not like a Hollywood gray. Alien. It's not like a Venetian. Mm-hmm. Like it is like the OG green. Yeah. OG. Which we learned in our last um, alien. Actually, I think we only learned that in Patreon. But apparently the greens are like the slaves. They do all the dirty mm-hmm. work. They're like the lowest form of tier. And then barely above them is the grays. And barely above them is the grays. Or wait, maybe that's backwards. Grays are the lowest. Grays Greens are, the lowest. are kind of the big, bigger dogs. No. But then, it, I don't know. Because greens are, whatever. You know what? It's fine. I don't remember. But I think her name was Hillary Porter. She knows all about it. Ask yeah. Her. I was on a Patreon uh, 12 or 11. It was last month. So yeah, it was last go month. Go check it out if you want to listen to it. Um. So shortly after, Philip then made contact with a UFO researcher um, named Peter Ho and also Jenny Randalls. He handed over the copyright of the photo and immediately it got leaked. Nope. It was media storm all over the front newspapers with titles like Alien Encounter on a Wild Moor and with a printed and enlarged black and white photo of the picture that Philip had taken. Throughout all of this, Philip insisted on keeping his anonymity. Anonymity. Uh-huh. How do you say that? His name anonymous. <laughs> Anonymity. I can't say anemone. That I can barely say anemone. Anemone. Anonymous. Anyway, he yeah. was adamant about being anonymous. And we would later learn that Philip didn't make a single dime from the story, which is very unheard of for people that report their alien yeah. encounters because they try to sell their story and right. they try to, you know, get books, get movies, and that questions the validity of the story. Um so once it hit the papers it was trying to be debunked. Over the next few days, the photograph was being investigated by wildlife experts, officials, and even UFO investigators. But no matter how hard they tried, Philip's story was checking all of the boxes. A wildlife photographer expert examined the object in the image, and it was not an animal of any known kind, obviously. Yeah. Um, not to mention sheep inhabit the area on the moor. And, th- and besides that, just a couple small animals here and there but for the most part it's just sheep you just see sheep um the wildlife photography expert was also like well it's not an animal um but that doesn't mean that the photo wasn't animate or static or edited right that's what that was his conclusion therefore the og film role got sent to kodak laboratories in hemel hempstead here in analysis why can't i talk an analysis (laughs) showed that the object was indeed part of the original photo it showed no tampering with Kodak said it, bitch. They concluded that it was not a superimposed or edited ph- photograph, but of course they could not determine what the creature was. Well, because you're Kodak, you're just you're not supposed to be like, oh no, what that is. You're you're just telling. They're us here for the, the Kodak moments and only the Kodak moments. Right. And but, sexy can I? Right. Exactly. <laughs> the Kodak moments only. Um, the picture was then actually sent to the United States for computer enhancement and analysis. Dr. Bruce Maccabee, who was an optical physicist with the United States Navy, gave his, quote, expert opinion. And this just kind of pisses me off. Um, he said that, quote, the low film speed that's used for low light conditions. So the film that he had bought mm-hmm. makes the film too grainy for proper testing. 
and that he had great hopes that his would prove definitive, but sadly, circumstances prevent it from being tested. So he can't conclude that it's real, but he also can't conclude that it's fake. Right. So, but he like threw his two cents out there. If you have nothing, <laughs> if you have nothing to say, then don't say it at all. Like, wh- why? Like, why are we bringing the United States into it? Obviously, they're going to cover it up. Right. Of course. You keep it over in the UK. Okay. Maybe yeah. you'll get to the bottom of Baby, it. Baby, don't send it over here. Don't send it to us. <laughs> nothing good. They just cover it all. It, it'll uh, all be Also, up. you guys are guilty on that too, but like. Also, UK will later learn that you're pretty guilty. Um, <laughs> you're a guilty girl. Um, but anyway, so. Yeah, there's a freaking United States being a party pooper, ruining shit. <laughs> um, over the months that the f- photograph was being examined, Philip started to experience some pretty strange dreams. Oh, shit. He told the UFO investigator, Peter Ho- Peter Haw, that was on the original case, mm-hmm. um, about this, and he recommended him to attend a session of regressive hypnotherapy. Ooh. And Philip did. On March 16th, 1988, Philip did a regressive hypnotherapy session with Dr. Jim Singleton. And under hypnosis... Philip told an entirely different story than the one that he had been sharing the past few months, the one that was in the papers. He recalled that once spotting the figure on the hill, he was instantly paralyzed. He was then lifted up a few feet and was pulled into the craft on the hill. Once inside the craft, Philip heard a voice that told him to be calm. And this is when a group of green beings surrounded him and began to perform medical experiments on him. This man's under hypnosis while he's saying all this. He recalled having items inserted in his nose and his mouth and that it was painful, but he was in a trance so that at the same time, it wasn't painful. After the experiments, he was given a tour of the craft and he kind of had a sense of familiarity, like he'd been there. Oh, God. During this tour, he was shown a film, a film so dark that it explained his strange dreams that he had been having, a film that showed an apocalyptic end of Earth. Nuclear explosions, famines, floods, and death. Great. During the film showing, he was being studied by his reaction to the film. And apparently, he passed. They then showed him a second film, but he has never revealed the contents of it, (gasps) stating that the beings that abducted him do not want humanity to know whatever was on the second film. Shortly after, Philip was returned back to the Ilkley Moor, and this is where his memory picks up. This is where he took the famous photograph. He recalled that the being that he thought was telling him to stay away was actually just waving goodbye to him. Oh, bye. After his regression, Dr. Singleton called it, quote, a genuine recall. Therefore, this doctor has no reason to believe that he made it up. Right. The Ilkley Moore incident stormed the headlines in the UK at the time and remains one of the country's most famous UFO sightings. It has been cited as one of the most persuasive UFO incidents to ever occur. It was your classic alien abduction ever, with missing time, photographic evidence, in a strange area that has so much history and is notorious for UFO spottings. Of course, people tried to debunk it, saying that it was just a cardboard cutout and that he made the entire thing up. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what his plans were like for the whole like, day. He was like, let me like just go and get a cardboard cutout <laughs> of this alien and paint it really like realistically let me paint the shadow on the ground beside let it let me too. paint the shit out of this alien <laughs> let me get this set it up walk 20 feet back and then take a photo of and it. then take a photo of it and then but, get rid of it and then get rid of it and then also stage a hypnosis yeah but philip knew that that wasn't the case especially with the events that followed the abduction just one month later oh, on a friday evening in january of 1988 philip received a knock at his front door oh, he opened it 
And Taylor, do you want to take a guess of who was standing on the other it's side? Men in black, isn't it? Men in black. <laughs> Outside his front door were two middle-aged men dressed in black business suits. Oh, God. They immediately flashed a UK Ministry of Defense identity card before revealing their names, Jefferson and Davies. Philip and his wife then invited the two men into the house where Jefferson announced that they were there to interview him about his UFO experience. Philip found this odd because it had only been a month and he had only spoken to three UFO investigators. But the men from the ministry knew all about his experience and began firing off a barrage of questions and demands, saying, tell us about your UFO sighting. Did you take pictures? Where are the pictures? Oh, my God. Did you not see the fucking news, dude? Right. Well, it wasn't out then. Oh, okay. Yeah. It was a month. You're right. Yeah. When they realized that Philip was no longer in possession of the picture and instead was given to the UFO investigator, Peter Ho, the two men lost all interest in further communication and they left as mysteriously as they arrived. Philip was shook. They knew intricacies of the case. And what was even weirder is that the entire time they didn't look at Philip once. Instead, they were staring at the electric fire that was lit in the fireplace in the living room. They kept asking him, what is that? And no, and Philip's like, it's a fucking fire. It's a fucking fire. It's a fireplace. And no answer was making sense to them. They're like, we don't understand. You don't get it. What is that? It's fire. It's it's fire. The fucking homo sapiens figured that one out. (laughs) They were fixated on this. I think probably because it was electrical. Yeah. They were fixated on this electric fire. Philip and his wife were sure that something was off with their mysterious visitors and that they were strange and they were very intimidating. Mm -hmm. Philip immediately called Peter, the UFO investigator that he um, originally filed his report with. Yeah. Who knew Peter knew exactly what had just happened. Oh, He's like, I was in men in black. Yeah. Peter then contacted the Ministry of Defense the following day, who denied any knowledge of such an odd visit to the home of Philip Spencer and had no workers under the name of Jefferson and Davies. Y'all some fucking liars. Are they, though? I mean, really, they could be. They could be, which leaves us with a couple of questions. Who were Jefferson and Davies? How did they know so much about his experience? Were they government agents, or were they otherworldly beings? And finally... What was the second film that Philip recalled during his regression that he can't speak about? So if you haven't listened to the Men in Black episode. Go right now. Which is one of my favorite ever segments that I've ever done. You need to go listen to it right now. So what they say, this is a a common Men in Black experience. Mm -hmm. And what they say, there's two theories as to who Men in Black are. The first one is that they're government agents and they act so odd because they want to kind of scare you into the tactic that they aren't human, even though they are. And then the second theory is, is that they aren't human at all. And they're kind of just like these worldly monitors. Okay. And because he captured physical evidence of his experience, they were at his door knocking on it. I'm trying to remember what we named the men in black. Sorry to be on my phone. MIB. Was it MIB? I can't remember if it was Bad Apples or MIB. No, that was Church of Bad Apples. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. And that is the Ilkley Moore incident. Okay, but here, here's my true question. I, I can't remember the full details of what we discussed. And I, I remember our Men in Black episode, but I don't remember like everything that we talked about off yeah. script from your case. Um, but how how unlikely would it be if Men in Black were also extraterrestrial, you know, investigators, but also worked with countries governments oh for sure right for sure so that's how they get all these badges and i i think that's why when they called they don't want they don't want anybody to know that the government is actually giving any attention to something so outlandish right aliens and i only saw this on one source but apparently like two days after this event happened Mm -hmm. that same ministry of defense kind of sat him down and interrogated him like they harassed him Okay, then what? You already came here, right? Hey, did you guys figure out? The and then a month fire? later, they sent two yep. agents there. Oh, Men in Black, baby! It's Men in Black. It's he. True, this is confirmed. It was an alien yeah. abduction. I yeah. just want to know what that second video was. Me too, because it's the kill first me. one being so bad already, like mm-hmm. apocalyptic, end of the world. death fire nuclear explosions and then the second video is even worse than that that he can't speak on that but he can speak on the apocalyptic end like what could it be what could it be what's worse than the end of the world is that they're already here and like running us probably it's pro- it probably just was like here's all the secrets to every fucking government. And you in the know world. what? The alien that he captured on on photo was probably like his fucking dude. Yeah, he's, he's like, like, bye, man. He's probably like this little. Day. It was probably his first visit on Earth, and he was like, got to abduct someone, and he's like, bye, buddy. He's just like this real hype kid, and he's like, rock on, buddy, rock on. Have the best day. Bye, Philip. It was so good to meet you, my man. My man, first human ever. Really awesome. Have a good day, Philip. Do you think I can get the autograph? He's like, oh, you want to play hide and seek? Come get me if you can. Like, Bye. Love you. <laughs> running Holy away. shit. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> Creeps and Crimes is sponsored by Daily Harvest. This week has been a crazy week. I'm talking four episodes in two days. That is a lot of editing. I guess that's why it pays to be a Patreon because that's, you guys get the majority of that's that. That's facts on facts. <laughs> and at the end of what feels like an endless workday, the last thing I ever want to do is cook dinner. But when your fridge is empty, the urge to order in and skip the cooking happens all too often. But thanks to Daily Harvest, I don't have that takeout temptation anymore. Daily Harvest helps me keep my freezer fully stocked with options that are delivered right to my front door and are delicious, nourishing, and ready in minutes. Daily Harvest delivers delicious harvest bowls, soups, flatbreads, snacks, smoothies, lattes, and more built on organic fruits and vegetables. Daily Harvest has delicious options for any time of the day. Breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, and even desserts. Everything is always on hand and in your freezer, ready to enjoy whenever you need it. My current obsession, though, right now, is their chocolate and blueberry smoothie. And it's perfect because in the middle of the day, I get dry mouth. I'm sitting here. I'm not starving. I need a little snack. And it is a healthy, clean option that keeps me on track and makes me feel good no matter what time of the day. Absolutely delicious. With Daily Harvest, I never have to question if the food I'm eating is good for me. They create food that's both good for my health and the health of the planet. 
by supporting farmers who invest in practices that increase biodiversity and improve the health of our soil and deliver food in recyclable and composting packaging. Daily Harvest does the work, so all you have to do is eat. New on the scene is their delicious Harvest Bakes. For those moments when you're looking for a homemade feel without doing any of the work, they are ready to bake veg-packed dishes sizzling with gourmet-level flavors that are big enough to share. You just don't want to, though. <laughs> Avoid the takeout temptation and get Daily Harvest. Go to dailyharvest.com creeps and crimes to get up to $40 off your first box. That's dailyharvest.com slash creeps and crimes for up to $40 off of your first box. Dailyharvest.com slash creeps and crimes. It's, it's seriously like the most notorious um, sighting in Europe. Yeah, that's a great one. I wonder if um, later on, well, I, I, I wonder how the timelines line up on this because I don't remember what with Hillary Potter. Oh, yeah. I, I wonder if they ever had a conversation about it because hers because this was in the 80s and hers was in like maybe the 70s yeah i'm pot she probably did because the ones the main that she the main like people she helped out were around stonehenge yeah and then this one's around another version of it a ton of moors whenever you first started telling this story i thought you were gonna be talking about the moors murder the same moor where the moors murders from england happened and i was gonna be like bitch we could have done a two-parter yeah, the area is seriously odd. Every moor situation, just bad vibes. I'm so just confused on what a moor is. It's it's like glaciers and... Like, just like a really rocky, like, it's a clearing but filled with giant boulders. Yeah, it's like all rocks and okay. like different levels of them. Yeah. So it's not like a rocky mountain t- type situation. It's right. just like... Like, I was looking at pictures, but I couldn't like get it into words as to what a, like a moor is. Yeah. Besides like the historical geography of it being literal ice age debris yeah and then there's like there's like some some of them have like forests around them which is where the but like murders. there's the fucking i'm this is very disclaimer okay disclaimer. this is a theory but there's the fucking nazi symbol tied into an alien thing again 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 every story and this one is a different type too which right it's not a regular more. like it, it's like maybe the nazis based their swastika which they might have yeah i'm not sure i don't maybe they change i don't know the evolution of a fucking swastika right bailey bailey sorry y'all keo bailey's in my basement right now we're gonna fuck her up. and we couldn't stop because that was such a good conversation yeah but yeah we had one of our listeners dm us not too long ago i don't yeah. know if you remember that and it was this giant conspiracy theory about um hitler and the nazis oh yeah Do you remember that yes. it was very interesting i'm definitely gonna cover it soon but yeah it is a, it is a very sensitive topic yeah and you know we don't want to take take away from it that's why we've kind of steered clear as much as possible of like you know but there's connections there there's tons of connections in the conspiracy world we just don't want to make anybody feel uncomfortable so right. we'll do it one day maybe as like a bonus that you you can still get a regular episode one day yeah and then have that if you would be open to listening to it however we do know it is very sensitive very yeah, sensitive. And awful so fucking horrific yeah um yeah anyway that is that <sighs> i i loved I, i'm not gonna lie this plus the men in black because men in black was already one of my favorites this is probably one of my favorite aliens travis walton sorry travis walton you thought barry what were the other two barry and barney and the yeah. pascagoula abduction yeah. i like those two those though. are those are all good but this one's good just because of all the creepiness that has to do with it with the area yeah oh i love it okay thank you yep
Okay, guys, so the case I have for you today is also an international case. Ooh, we're going worldwide. Worldwide today, baby. Worldwide. You guys requested to have international cases, and baby, have we delivered. Have we delivered for (laughs) y'all? So the cases I'm gonna be the case I'm gonna be covering for you today is the Kimberly Killings. Ooh. And this take this takes place in Australia. In order for you to have the best visuals possible while listening to this case, I want to describe the location, region, terrain, and history of Kimberley. And in order to do this, for the first time in a long time, which Morgan's already told you, we are going to have like a photo book for you to go through with both of our cases. Photo book. So head on over to Instagram if you don't already. It's Crapes and Crimes Podcast and you will be able to see this. So if you are looking at the continent that is Australia... Um, it kind of looks like a kidney bean that has been smushed <laughs> in a way. You know what I mean? I see it. Yes. But Australia is actually divided into three regions and six states. So I'm going to be listing these from left to right as if you were looking at a map. On the far left is the state of Western Australia, which takes up one third of the entire co- country. Down to... St- <laughs> down to... S- down the center. Sorry. Um, there are two states. Down the center. <laughs> Down under, um, down the center, there are two states, the Northern Territory and South Australia. And then on the far right in the east, there are three states. The, in the northeast is Queensland. And then the southeast is divided by two states, the New South Wales and Victoria. So right below Victoria is actually the seventh state of Australia, and it's the island of Tasmania, which is the only state that is not connected to the mainland. Western Australia is made up of mostly the Outback. Yeah, blue and onion. Outback Steakhouse. <laughs> yum, yum. They're probably so offended. Yeah, they probably like, are. Like, they probably come over here and they're like, this is how you represent our country <laughs> like, with an Outback fucking Steakhouse. The large margaritas <laughs> that are blue <laughs> taste like ass. This is it. With the bread. So, so The bread is fire. Oh, no. You don't like their bread? Nope. I will eat four loaves of that bread mm-hmm. on my own and the butter. With the I'm ranch. I'm not back bread girl. I don't like Longhorn's bread either. I don't like Longhorn at all. I like. I would choose um, Outback over Longhorn any day of the week. I like the seasonings better at Outback. I would choose Outback as a steakhouse, but bread I'm always with the Texas Roadhouse. Oh, Texas Roadhouse Ew. wins above all of them. All of them. All of them. Okay, sorry. We'll get back to this. Um, so the Outback. Tasmania is the only one that's not connected to the mainland. So Western Australia is made up of mostly the Outback. But there are st- cities and towns that lie across it. The majority of its population, though, is concentrated in the southwestern corner with the Margaret River wine region and the riverside capital of Perth. And the northern region of Western Australia is where the Kimberley lies. So Kimberley is known for its immense and complex landscape that it has amazing waterfalls, rainforests, gorges, rivers, deserts, mountains, and a large variety of wildlife. Mm. So it's basically everything you've ever wanted in one little spot. Yeah. <laughs> Um, The Kimberley perimeter is outlined by the coast of Australia on the outside. And then on the inside, it's outlined by Australia's National Highway 1 or A1, which is 9,000 miles or 14,500 kilometers long and wraps around the entire perimeter of Australia, making it the longest national highway in the world. Damn. Right? I've heard of that highway. So if we were to drive east from Fitzroy Crossing in Kimberley through the town of Kununurra and across the western australian state border and into the northern territory the first city that we would come to is timber creek 
which is where our case begins. Ooh, Timber Creek. Timber Creek is approximately 370 miles or 600 kilometers south of the northwestern, I'm sorry, the Northern Territory capital of Darwin. Timber Creek is is a small isolated town on the banks of the Victoria River, well known for its amazing views, fishing spots, and camping. Which is exactly why 70-year-old Marcus Bolin and his family decided to stop for a stay in the town while on their road trip holiday on June 8, 1987. Marcus, his wife Winifred, their son, 42-year-old Lance, and Lance's wife, Joan, had been spending their June holiday away from their hometown in Perth. Driving through the beautiful terrain of Western Australia and into the Northern Territory, stopping to camp, rent motels, fish, eat, or sightsee just whenever it felt right. Like whenever they found something, they were like, oh, let's set up camp here. This yeah, is perfect. This is perfect. No plan, just drives. Just vibes. No plan, just, just straight vibes. vibes. So Marcus and Lance enjoyed fishing a ton and they loved doing it together mostly, which is why their stop in Timber Creek was non-negotiable. Uh, mainly because of the barramundi that can be found in this area. Okay, Bucky. Which barramundi is what I had in my green chef meal. And it was amazing. It was better than mahi-mahi. Yeah, that is what we had. Yes, barramundi. It was delicious. Oh my god! I was like, what the hell is this? I thought it was barracuda. No, it's barramundi. I thought that's just a word for barracuda. Like, how weird is that? I literally ate it the day I started this research. I was like, I just ate barramundi. That's so crazy. Interesting. Yeah, okay. Um, so they were like, we have to stop here. No questions about it. So on the evening of June 8th, the family stopped at a motel in Timber Creek and rented rooms for the night. And then the next morning on June 9th, the men woke up extra early and decided to let the women take their time getting ready, packing the lunches and getting the gear together that they needed to sit on the banks of the Victoria all day long. While Marcus Mm. and Lance went to go scout out the perfect fishing spot. They told their wives that they would be back soon to pick them up once they had found the perfect spot for the day and left in the family's station wagon. So they only had one car and they had been traveling all together in this car. The two drove west towards a stretch of the highway that runs directly beside the Victoria Banks where they found a dirt road that was made by fishermen and campers. So they turned off of the highway, drove through the brush and headed straight for the open river banks. Finally, when they had come across the perfect spot, which was approximately five and a half miles or nine kilometers away from their motel, they pulled off the car on the dirt road and got out to have a look. After looking around, the men headed back to their car, walking beside each other, when out of nowhere, a man rushes towards them with a rifle, screaming for Marcus and Lance to lay face down in the dirt and sand beside their car. Oh my God. Marcus and Lance did as the man said. However, this was not a robbery. This was a hunt. The man shot 70-year-old Marcus and then his son, 42-year-old Lance, execution style beside their car as they were laying face down in the dirt. Holy shit. Before stripping their bodies of all of their clothing and belongings, dragging their bodies from the trail to the high tide mark at the riverbank where the killer quickly dug two shallow graves and buried the men. The killer then placed the men's clothes and belongings into the family's car and drove the station wagon a mile down the trail where he set it on fire fleeing the scene. Meanwhile, hours had gone by since the men had left their wives saying that they'd be back in an hour. And the woman grew worried when it started nearing like sunset because they at first they're like maybe they just like found a perfect spot. They had their fishing gear and they're like we're just gonna do it right now and go back and get them whenever it stops biting. So at first they were kind of, you know, brushing it off. But then they're like, you know, it's getting dark. They they wouldn't leave us all day like this without right, a car. They should be back by now. Right. 
So then they started worrying like, okay, maybe one of them fell in the river and the other one tried to help them. Yeah, like something bad had happened. But either way, they were like, we have to call the police. So they called the Timber Creek Police Station and reported them missing. Police immediately went out and searched all of the local known fishing spots. But before they knew it, the sun was going down and there was no sign of the men. Winifred and Joan were up worried all night about the men just reminding themselves that you know what if they got lost at least they have their car as soon as the sun rose on june 10th police ramped up their search efforts for the men and quickly they came across the family's burnt station wagon oh my god realizing the amount of danger the men must be in Investigators searched the area extensively with all of their land, air, and water resources, following the tire tracks that led them to where the station wagon had been originally parked. And then they could see drag marks, speckled with blood, which led them to the two shallow graves on the riverbank, revealing the men that had been shot to death. Immediately, the area was shut down, blocking off all roads in and out, and breaking the horrific news to the women. Winifred and Joan were beside themselves. I couldn't imagine. They were just enjoying a family holiday, waiting on the men to choose a fishing spot. Why would this happen? Who would do this to Lance and Marcus? Which is exactly what police were wondering. Meanwhile, investigators at the scene were trying to piece together a timeline or a series of events, calling in reinforcement teams from Darwin. Beside where the car had originally been parked, investigators found two large stains on the dirt and sand, which forensic testing proved to be blood from both Marcus and Lance, therefore proving to investigators that this is where the murders took place. Next, investigators followed the blood-stained drag marks to the shallow graves, carefully examining each and every inch of the ground, searching for any piece of physical evidence that would lead them to the killer. And it was obvious that Marcus and Lance's killer... Oh my God, sorry. I'm. You okay? No. Um, I don't know what just happened. It felt like my throat was closing up. We're fine now. That was Did just kind of scary. by a ghost? <laughs> I don't know. It felt like it. That was... Is Men in Black in here right now? Everybody get out. Get out. Everybody get Where out. Where are you? Okay, sorry. So it was obvious to investigators that Marcus and Lance's killer had worked extremely hard to clean up the scene as there, there seemed to be not a single trace of evidence left behind until... Investigators found one single cartridge along the drag marks that seemed to have fallen out of the killer's pocket when he was dragging the bodies. It was obvious that he had dug up both of the bullets from the ground that were used to kill Marcus and Lance. Next, beside the graves, investigators discovered one singular boot print that had not been smudged away at like the others. Investigators took both of these and logged them into evidence, and once Marcus and Lance's autopsies reports came back, the cartridge was the same that was used to kill them, confirming that it had come from a high-powered rifle. It was clear that the men were, like, this was a surprise attack on the men, and they were being hunted by this killer. But was this completely random, or was it a planned attack? Marcus Bolin was a prominent man in Perth, serving as a former deputy mayor for Fremantle, which could potentially leave him with enemies. However, the family was well-respected and loved by their community, and this just doesn't sound likely that the family would have been followed their entire vacation that had already been a week long at this point, all the way to Timber Creek, and Timber Creek was one of the last stops before they were heading home to Perth. At this point, the entire small town of Timber Creek was shaken up. This media had taken the story 
nationwide at this point. And police were able to use this to their advantage, issuing warnings to anyone camping or planning on making a trip to this area. It was so desolate and isolated that any and everyone could be in danger with a crazed gunman on the loose. Oh my God. Asking for any tips and leads to be sent in and everyone to be on the lookout for any sort of suspicious activity. Upon hearing this, someone in the area had remembered seeing a suspicious white car, possibly a Toyota 4Runner, driving around that day. And the person sent in the tip. But that doesn't really mean much because people drive down this highway all the time, especially in June. So just six days after Marcus and Lance's murder, police in Western Australia, Kimberley region's town of Wyndham, which is just west of Kananora, received a frantic phone call from a man. That morning, the man's friends, 26-year-old Philip Walkmeyer, his fiance, 25-year-old Julie Warren, and their friend, 36-year-old Terry Bolt of Kananora, had not shown up for work after a weekend camping and fishing at the Pentecost River crossing in Kimberley. The man, who had been at the campsite just the day before with another friend, decided to go check in on the trio, fearing that they had ran out of gas or gotten a flat tire. When he arrived at their campsite, there was no sign of the trio. However, he was able to find their car nearby, completely burnt. Mm, Yep. I knew it. Realizing the similarities between the murders that had just taken place five days prior and the trio's abandoned, burnt car, police acted quickly, rushing out to their campsite, taping it, off, taping it off and shutting down all roads in and out of the area, canvassing all cars and drivers. Teams of investigators were sent up and down the riverbanks searching for any sign of the trio, which is when they quickly discovered the remains of 25-year-old Julie Warren's body floating naked in the river with gunshot wounds. Upon this discovery, a seven-member team of elite Western Australian police officers from the Tactical Response Group, or TRG, which I'm going to be referring them as throughout because I can't say Tactical Response Group 900 (laughs) times, um, was assembled and flown from their headquarters in Perth to Cannonora, along with an officer from the Forensics Division. TRG officers are basically military trained for high-risk situations um, and provide support to police and other agencies in large-scale dangerous investigations like the one at hand now. So kind of like FBI, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, once the Cannonora TRG set up their base at Home Valley Station, and were, they were immediately sent to the crime scene where they were able to locate the bodies of both Philip and Terry, also floating naked with gunshot wounds in the river. All three victims had been shot multiple times. However, it was clear that they had been shot in the backs first. And evidence at the scene, as well as tips sent in by witnesses, helped investigators to piece together a timeline of events. In the early morning of June 13th, the trio headed out to their favorite campsite along the Pentecost River and set up camp. Philip and Terry fished while Julie read, cooked, and sun lounged for the first part of the day until their two friends, who would later end up calling police for them, drove out to meet them. The friends all drank, fished, and celebrated Julie and Philip's recent engagement, enjoying their times together in the wilderness. That night, the whole friend group camped out in their cars and tents, and then the next morning on June 14th, the two friends left to head back home while Philip, Julie, and Terry um, stayed at the campsite well into the evening so the men could fish and Julie could finish up her book. 
Meanwhile, there were two fishermen just downstream who saw and spoke with the trio. In the evening, the two fishermen were leaving, and they were watching as Julie had began packing up their campsite into their car, and Terry and Philip had began packing up all of their fishing gear and heading over to Julie. As the fishermen walked to their car, they noticed that there was a white Toyota 4Runner parked nearby in oh, a dry creek. Oh, shit. That was the tip. Mm-hmm. Taking note of it because it seemed odd as there had been no one else in the area. Despite this, they left and headed home. The trio continued to pack their cars and their belongings, which went out of nowhere from the high grass along the riverbanks. A man charged the group with rapid fire shooting Julie in the center of the back, sending her to the ground. Philip and Terry were hit next. However, it was obvious that they had tried to run or crawl to safety, but it was too late, as the man that was shooting them was now behind them, shooting them multiple times in the back until the three stopped moving. The killer then stripped the three victims down to their naked bodies, then drug them into the crocodile-infested waters, throwing their clothes, camping gear, and belongings into their car, drenching it in gas, and setting it on fire. The killer was hunting for humans just for the thrill of it, watching the trio for hours, it seemed, before initiating his ambush. This was absolutely terrifying in the Kimberley region, as it was known to be a very safe area with little to no violence or crime, and now there was this gun-crazed serial killer lurking in the wilderness. Media from all over Australia flooded the small towns, flying above, interviewing locals, adding lots and lots of pressure to these already terrified residents. Luckily, because of the media attention, police received tip tips tons of them but specifically one from a truck driver who had been driving through the area on the evening of june 14th the truck driver said he was driving near the campsite when he spotted a large amount of thick dark smoke this made him curious because it looked like a fuel fire and not like the typical campfire smoke that you would see in this area he had stopped on this desolate empty road in order to get a better look of whatever it was but There really was no luck because you couldn't see through the brush. But as he was sitting there, a car came up behind him, barreling, throwing smoke and dirt and whatever behind him. And so quickly, the truck driver was like, I got to pull over. So he pulls over to the side of this really thin road to let this man pass. As the trucker was pulling over, he got this feeling in his stomach. Something isn't right. So, he decided to pay close attention to the car and its driver. I already know. It was a white Toyota 4Runner with red stripes down the side, a rack on the roof, and Queensland plates. And then, he got a good look at the driver. A small man with dark, medium, brown, long hair. So... During the detailed search of the crime scene, using metal detectors, like everything that they could, investigators discovered many cartridges and many footprints, or boot prints, should I say. And after testing, it proved that they were the exact same used and worn in the Timber Creek killings. Roadblocks were immediately put into place across Kimberley as investigators searched for this white Toyota. No locals were leaving their homes or on the roads. Therefore, it was easier to keep surveillance. Did you miss our lash ads? Well, guess what? We are back with even more. Afterlife Lash Extensions is a Knoxville-based lash studio that offers everything from classics to super volume. Not in Knoxville, or would you rather have falsies? 
Afterlife Lashes has it all with their own strip lashes for sale on Instagram at Afterlife Lashes. All of their products are faux mink silk material that is vegan, cruelty-free, and sent to you in a reusable coffin packaging that is so cute and so on brand. With three years experience and a three-time certified lash artist, Afterlife Lashes is here to give you the best experience possible. Take a nap on their ultra-soft lash beds with great music and even better vibes. Use our code Creeps and Crimes to get 40% off your entire order of falsies on afterlifelashes.com. To book an extension appointment, DM Afterlife Extensions on Instagram and mention Creeps and Crimes podcast to receive 40% off any service offered. Happy lashing. <laughs> every car that came by was searched. Every driver was interviewed and warned to not be camping in the area, especially after dark. Police searched through all of the surrounding areas looking for any campsites, searching all abandoned structures and buildings or picnic areas. Planes and helicopters flew overhead searching for dust trails indicating that cars would be driving on the back roads in the Kimberley terrain. After studying the tactics used in the murders, the TRG came up with a conclusion that this was the doing of a sniper-trained tra- individual oh who enjoyed the thrill of amb- ambushing their victims and that they feared this killer would continue to escalate, possibly targeting larger groups of people. And they began to worry if there was anyone out there that had been murdered that had just not been reported missing. Because, I mean, that is, right. like, you don't just start killing more than one person, you know? Yeah, you escalate. Mm-hmm. So they're, at this point, they're like, is an, does anybody know anybody that could be camping out in the Kimberley at all that you haven't spoken to? Yeah. So they're going to campsites. They're warning people. They're like, get the shit out of here. Because, remember, this is ni- in the 1980s. There's yeah. no cell phones. And not to mention, in this area, there's no cell phone reception even if you had it the only thing you can get to go through in that area is the um satellite radio right that's it and that's if they're listening to it right and they're not because they're out in the wilderness just enjoying their fucking day right you know not expecting a con uh, whoa <laughs> a gun crazed whoa <laughs> person to come up watch on it <laughs> so this is concerning obviously but more so because of the possibility of this escalation because the annual Fitzroy Crossing Rodeo was scheduled to take place in the coming days. Oh, no. So on June 19th, 1986, no, 1987, um, an Outback Livestock Helicopter pilot named Peter Lutenager was mustering horses in Fitzroy Crossing preparing for the uh, rodeo that was taking place nearby, which is about 497 miles or 800 kilometers southwest of the campsite where Julie, Terry, and Philip had been killed. And this is 543 miles or 873 kilometers from Timber Creek where Marcus and Lance were killed. Just to get, give you guys some, again, go go look at the map. I'm going to put it on there for you guys. So as he's flying above, he spots what looks to be a camouflage car under a tree nearby in a bushland. Because of the searches going on and the fact that this is not far from the location of the annual rodeo that was taking place in that moment, Peter calls this in to police. Very quickly, TRG was dispatched to the area by plane. Once they arrived, an officer got into the helicopter with Peter and flew overhead to get the exact location and details, reporting it back to the base where the TRG team was setting up. As Peter and the officers made their way back to the base via helicopter, the TRG officers created a game plan as how they were going to 
you know, basically get a clear view of this car and of any of campers in the areas while keeping themselves and others safe, knowing that it was a complete possibility that this could just could be a camper or a local or just like a tourist just hanging out in this area. So once this plan was confirmed and approved by all the higher ups, the TRG moved in, creating a full perimeter around the car of officers on foot. Once all the officers were evenly spread out around the car and camouflaged with their weapons and trained police, a trained police pilot began flying overhead to confirm the location of the car and make sure that all of the seven uh, TRG officers were in the correct place. So after confirming that they were all in the correct place, one kilometer each from the car, aimed and ready, the pilot began dipping just above the brush, nearly hitting the top of the trees to try and get anyone in that camp to flush out and come into clear view. And it worked. A young, small man who looked to be in his late 20s or early 30s with brown hair emerges from the camouflage campsite, wearing only camo pants and holding a gun. The plane continued to fly overhead, trying to get this man to come out into the open more, which he did. However, he immediately began firing at the plane over and over again with a semi-automatic weapon, firing round after round. The pilot begins dodging bullets while trying to confirm a visual and location of the man radioing down to the officers on the ground. When out of nowhere, the man swiftly turns to his left, takes aim and fires at an officer on the ground barely missing him. TRG officers realized that they had been spotted and began taking cover behind anthills, rocks, and trees, just trying to protect themselves from this man who was continually firing at them. Oh my God. TRG officers identify themselves to the man, fearing that he was just a regular camper who might have just been on the edge or spooked by the media and the serial killer that's possibly on the loose. However, Even after the man acknowledged that they were the police, they were screaming like, police, police, police. He was not stopping. He continued to fire. Now, all around the perimeter, aiming at all seven TRG officers, round after round. This was calculated. He was skilled and trained. The aim this man was using, it was military. TRG officers quickly realized the amount of danger that they were in and who they were up against, which is when they received the official orders from commanders to open fire, as their lives now were on the line. Officers began throwing grenades first that were filled with tear gas and fireworks at the man to try and force him away from his camp, where he had stashed rounds of ammunition around all of the outside markings so it was making for easy reload, like he knew this was going to happen. Oh my God. However, because of this, the explosion started because of the fireworks with the ammo and it was a dry area. It's the fucking desert. So all of this brush gets set on fire. There's smoke and flames everywhere now with constant fire and shooting. It was like a military like war zone. Holy fuck. Officers continue to shoot, dodging bullets, fearing for their lives, running on pure adrenaline and prayers. When finally, one of the officers was able to shoot the man's hand as it was pulling the trigger on the gun, damaging the gun and shooting off the man's thumb. Quickly, the man retreated to his car and officers inched in closer. But before they realized it, through the smoke and the fire that now separated the man in a full perimeter from them, Complete circle. He had gotten another gun. It was a Ruger Mini 14 semi-automatic rifle. This gun 
was the same one to that was used to hunt, shoot, and kill all of the victims in the Kimberly, realizing that they ha- are no doubt dealing with the killer. Officers feared that there were hostages in the car being held or in the campsite. TRG officer Bob Brown decided to not waste any more time wondering and fearing about the possible lives that could be at stake in that car. It was just a few seconds away from catching on fire. He tells his team to cover him. He stands up and begins running towards the car through the flames, smoke, and bullets, dodging them as he ran. Once he got into the car, he ripped up, open the passenger door. Smoke filled the car quickly. It's hard to breathe. It's hard to see. You can't do anything. He begins just filling around when he finally realizes that the keys are in the ignition. In a swift motion, he jumps over to the driver's seat, turns the key, and gasses the car from underneath the brush in the open and out of the flame and s- flames and smoke when he finally realizes that it's a white Toyota 4Runner with Queensland plates and red stripes. They have their guy, no doubt about it. And thankfully, no one else was in the car. The shooter now has no cover, no ammo, and no shelter. Well, very little ammo, but no shelter. And he is in the open. Quickly, he begins retreating, using military-trained tactics to cover himself as he did, still firing round after round at officers. When all of a sudden, the shooting stops, and the man is completely out of view. It is now eerily silent with the flames and smokes crackling around them, making it nearly impossible to know that you are in the clear and covered. Yet officers continued to close in, searching for this man. The pilot, who was still flying above at the time, making reports down to officers below in order to keep them safe, lowers down to try to spot the man and clear the smoke when he finally sees him, laying just yards away, face down in the dirt. Officers close in on the location quickly, guns drawn, with the coaching of the pilot above, and they find him, dead. The man had suffered a gunshot wound to the center of his back that went directly through his heart, killing him instantly. The helicopter pilot, Peter, who made the first initial tip, um, was instructed to pick up a doctor from the rodeo and rush them to the scene where the man was officially pronounced dead. But the question still remains, who is the Kimberly killer? Police realized that the man lying in front of them was not wearing shoes. So they rush to the campsite and sift through all of their belongings in the car when they finally find a single pair of boots, Timberlands, that were an exact match to the footprints collected at both crime scenes. They continued to to search for any form of ID while officers contacted the rental car service that the forerunner had been rented from. And it had been rented out two months prior by a German man on a tourist visa by the name of Joseph Schwab. But is this the man's identity or is this another victim? Hmm. Medical examiners were uh, then sent the man's fingerprints to Germany in order to get a positive ID. While officers sifted through tons of bags, coolers, cubbies and wallets that they had found in the car, which most belonged to Julie, Philip, Terry, Marcus and Lance. When they finally discovered a German passport confirming again the name Joseph Joseph Swab, it wasn't until it was finally confirmed by the fingerprints that were ended up being a match that this was Joseph Swab, the Holy Kimberly shit. killer. Joseph Schwab was born and uh, was twenty six year old, a twenty six year old man born in Starnsburg, West Germany, when West Germany was a thing in nineteen sixty. Growing up, he always was shy and a very timid student. 
And at the age of 15, he joined a local rifle club and remained a member until June of 1981 at the age of 21, which is when he decided to move to Adelaide in Southern Australia. He got there and he worked as a cabinet maker and joined a pistol club, traveled all around Australia where he would hunt wild pigs, camp, hike, and fish. In Australia, he owned several rifles and a 4WD. I don't know what that is. Me neither. Yeah. Um, However, he did fail to show up to work on many occasions because he enjoyed his time hunting, traveling, and hiking more than working. So he was fired, now broke, and forced to return home to Germany in early 1984 or in late 1983. On May 10th, 1984, Schwab became a security guard in Germany where he was trained on how to properly use pistols. On April 3rd, 1985, he became a night watchman where he was further trained in military tactics on how to use firearms and he remained in this position despite several crimes that he had committed during this time in this position until April 15th, 1987 when he decided to go back to Australia. On April 18th, 1987, he arrived in Brisbane, uh, Australia airport on a tourist visa. And on April 22nd, he rented a Toyota 4Runner, bought three rifles, a, it says .223, but how do you say, 223? 200 or... 223 caliber rifle. Caliber. Whatever. You guys know what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> caliber no uh, Ruger Mini-14 semi-automatic rifle, a three eighty. Sacco S-A-K-O bolt action rifle and a 22 caliber B-R-N-O Brono um, Brono whatever uh, bolt action rifle as well as a Winchester Uh-oh. 12 gauge pump action shotgun with third no not 30 3,000 rounds of ammo holy shit he bought all of those guns and 3,000 rounds of ammo how outrageous is that who needs that (sighs) so he spent some time near the diamania i think that's how you say it river on may 6th and then by may 20th we know for sure that he was in darwin which is literally just above timber creek schwab hunted for animals hiked camped and practiced his tactics in the wild before deciding to perform them and hunt on humans but no one knows why he had done this There were literally no signs. There seemed to be no motive. There was no previous attempts at murder that he had committed. He was known to be obsessed with guns, yeah, hunting and pretty antisocial, which red flag, red flag, red flag. Right. Um, But he was never a violent person. The photos of him before returning to Australia for the second time do not resemble at all the man that police fatally shot during their shootout that resembled a military battle. He seemed to be well put together, just normal, like literally looked normal, whereas now he looks like a completely different human, almost unrecognizable by family and friends. His parents, close family and friends were shocked to hear of Schwab's actions. They had no idea of the violent hunter of human lives that this man that they had known and loved for 26 years had become. There was no sign of this beforehand. It was just like a snap. So we will never know why or exactly what pushed Joseph Schwab to become the mass murderer, a serial killer, the Kimberly killer that took the lives of five innocent, kind, well-known and loved individuals who were just enjoying their holidays and celebrations 
one day and killed the next. It is a question that continues to haunt the families of 70-year-old Marcus Bullen, 42-year-old Lance Bullen, 25-year-old Julie Warren, 26-year-old Philip Walkemeyer, and 36-year-old Terry Bolt. And that is the case of the Kimberly killer. I just want to know what made him tick. Like, what? what like is what? that? It was like a, um, a light switch. Excuse my Right. It, it, it straight up was a light switch. It just, something triggered him. Yeah, something flipped. I want to know what. And, and I want to, sorry, I want to know if um, there was any victims in Germany. I, that's exactly what I was thinking. But, and, and, I, guys, when you look at my source list, you're like, Taylor didn't fucking look this one up at all. No, I cannot get into Australian documents. I can't get into news articles that have been like I normally can. Australia, I've, I've said this before when I covered one other yeah. Australian murder. I think it was a Claremont. It is the hardest country for me to get any sort of reports off of. Like it is outrageous to me how hard it is so if we have any australian listeners that y'all would want to like help me out by screenshotting <laughs> articles that you guys have access to that i don't because of vpn then absolutely Go ahead i'll and take do you that out. yeah i'll let you know i'll send you you'll get the hint before that anybody that was a crazy case and you did so good because the whole entire time i was visualizing it i was visualizing the brush fire them circling in him on the ground I was like, I'm in there. I'm in a movie. It, well, so that, that's what I was about to lead to let you guys know. I had to rely on all TV shows that were on YouTube from Australia. So I watched all of these documentaries. So I got to visually see it. And so I was like, you guys have to see this like me because this is fucking crazy. Yeah, you did a good job. Thank describing you. Describing that. I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. Uh, I love you guys. It. They're like, we didn't fucking, we didn't they're tell like, you. We didn't say we enjoyed it. Okay, well, Morgan did. So that's all that matters. <laughs> I love this episode. Uh, Thank you so much. Um, I did. This is a really good episode. Episode 80. Of course, I had to be a great one. Episode 80. We love you. We love you, girl. You've been a great. I can't wait to watch all the documentaries. You'll have to send me them. Oh, they're so good. And they're only like 45 minutes long. I watched like nine. I mean, it was like I it was like just like picturing like, like Bob Brown like, running in there. Just crazy shit. It, the, the reenactments were wild. They were wild. So how you may not know this answer, but how were they able to get such a good description of the events that took place to all the killings did so, he journal did they just conclude it through the evidence and yeah it was just concluded through evidence so we don't know that that is exactly what had happened but we do because there was not even a journal left behind that that's right. another thing there were like typically people that just that snap, snap like this that. have journals yeah. or some type me- of evidence like memoir, not a memoir but like a you, yeah like a manifesto yeah or like call somebody and like say crazy shit like no this was just random yeah so yeah they didn't they had to piece these moments together yeah, based using off where they were shot footprints yeah, yeah evidence at the scenes oh my god that's crazy yeah so the reason this is really interesting to me because i don't know if you picked up on this but when i was talking about the trio julie philip and terry um I mentioned that he had been stalking them from the high grass on the riverbank. Yeah. And the reason they knew that is because there was some like ammo that had fallen out of his pocket and you could see where he had been laying down. It was Mm -hmm. the size of a human. So they began searching over there looking to see like, oh, maybe there's bodies over here because of the way it was laid down or maybe they were killed here. But no, it was just him watching them. He was hunting. He had been watching them while the two fishermen that were downstream were there too because of the the forerunner being there and we know that he so had do, been they, there. do they um think that 
he was going to go to the rodeo. Like they, mm-hmm. that was his intention. Yep. Because of, he had gotten really close to it. Like mm-hmm. literally just had miles. Had a full camp, all of that mm-hmm. ammo. He had like uh, those camo tarp thingies mm-hmm. that look like nuts on top of his car. Yeah. Underneath. That's why it caught the eye of um, the helicopter pilot, Peter. And but he couldn't see what car it was. But immediately when the TRG heard this, they were like, it matches the profile for exactly what this person would do. Right. So that's why they took it so serious. But what's really like an episode of Criminal Minds. It is. But what's really interesting about it. And I don't know if if you guys remember this, but I've actually asked people to tell me what case this is on multiple occasions because I heard this case in 2018 when I was driving down in South Knoxville. One day I was listening to it and I would not get out of the car. I just kept driving and so I could listen to the whole case and was so fucking crazy. I heard it on case file podcast, which is also one of my resources. Amazing podcast. If you want like the deet, the deets, the deets, the deets, the deets that they can get from Australia. Yeah, there it is. It it just crazy research. So Australia's um, playing favorites and creeps and crimes isn't one of them. (laughs) Yeah, not one of them. (laughs) So we anyways, I, I listened to this a long time ago and I've been looking for this case for the longest and I was on a TikTok live and I was like, does anybody recognize this case? And this one person, there was like two people like, yes, I know this case. And so I got on the website and we were going through and I thought it was uh, one type of murder. And then I was listening to it. I was like, no, this isn't it's It's similar to this case. But then I found this one. And I was like, oh, my God. Amazing. Thank have God. To do it. I have to do it. But anyways, what I was doing. Today's episode at, is sponsored by TikTok then. Yeah. Thanks, TikTok. But really quickly before we get off, I what I was getting at is when I was researching this case, I came across this entire it was talking about like how police got in trouble for killing him because oh, you know really? now guns are like illegal in Australia yeah right is yeah. that what it is yeah and now you can't have guns and it was as a result of this and then a similar copycat situation which is what people thought I was referring to oh. and that they were telling like oh I know which one it is it was the one that they thought I was referring to which that one's a five-parter and both hour-long episodes each so basically you're never going to get to hear me tell you that one so <laughs> um whatever or it'll be a shortened version yeah so um it after this there the police like got tried and like had to go through a ton of shit and it actually came up and showed a ton of like police corruption after this Be- not because of this crime scene but because of others um they were taking money from crime scenes like these police oh, officers not trg but like local police yeah. officers and it pulled up a, a ton of like ton of corruption and australia literally set went in and fucking shut everybody down. And then when this the next crazy they case said, Learn happened. Your place. Bye. Right. When the next crazy case happened, um, they it was when they banned all guns in Australia. It it's really interesting. I mean, the Bob uh Brown, mm-hmm. he was actually one of the first officers to fire when he realized that his friend was before he got the okay to open fire, he had fired because he thought his friend was hit. His team member. The one that was very mm-hmm. missed. Yeah. So he fired back t- uh, two shots and then he had to report it. And so then he had to go in and they all had the seven member team That's that was crazy out there to me. had to go be interviewed, discuss like what l- events led to it. They had to replay the radio like things that were going back and forth. And then it was proved that they 
weren't going to be tried as their lives were in danger just right. as much. They're literally put in a war zone by this right. crazy guy. I'm, but like, honestly, if, if you were, if we were just like sitting here in the court and they're like, the craziest shit just happened that's ever fucking happened. We were literally just at a battle with one man. It was one against seven and he was kicking our asses. Yeah. We couldn't fucking hit him. You know, like it's kind of hard to believe you're thinking right. one against seven. Of course you guys shot him. But I, I appreciate Australia for, you know, holding their officers accountable. Yeah. Because it's just, you don't have to shoot everybody. Exactly. You know, you can detain them unless your life's in danger, obviously. Right. Anyways, that's all I have for today. Loved it. Uh, do you have anything else before we get off? I don't. See you guys next week. Yep. Love you guys. Bye-bye. Happy 80. Happy 80, Morgan. I love Happy you. Happy 80. Love you. Bye. Wait, 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 wait. Before we go, we forgot to do something. We oh, yes. forgot to do the Patreon of the month. Yep. So, April's Patreon is Miss Evie. Evie V. Yeah, yeah. I Evie, said I was going to that. we love you. Evie um, is my little in our sorority. And she's a fucking queen. She's period. a queen. Amazing. Follow her on Instagram because her pictures are phenomenal. Just the aesthetic is always there. And she's like a, a go-getter bitch. She's literally in school for archaeology. Yeah. Right? Architect? Architect. <laughs> she's out in the field like fucking digging she's, shit. She's archaeology. <laughs> she's digging up fossils. Yeah, literally. But she's um, be like, are you kidding me? No, she she's uh she's always in that fucking studio, always grinding and out. And then her little sister, who's also in our sorority, uh Josie, she yeah. fucking she's the one that came over. Oh my god, they know. Yeah, yeah. Halloween party. Halloween party. And we they they said that our they went up to the karaoke and they're like, let's get, get creepy. creepy. She like brought like all these little her all of her friends that we have never met had never yeah, met before. they were way younger than us and they were up there singing our intro it was kind of cute it was so maybe the best moment of my life it, my it's arguably one of the best days ever ever, ever. <laughs> like i think it would only be compared with if i ever were to be somewhere and see someone wearing our merch yeah. i would shit a brick but miss evie has been yes. with us since the beginning and A1. she is actually the third patreon that or the fourth fourth patreon, patreon that we that ever has got. ever joined so thank you evie and we love you so we much we love you and we love your mama too because Come we know she listens l-i-t-b l-i-t-b love you bitch bye bye